I'd like to get a little bit of a running start here. I know Connor's covered it, but I'd like to get a little running start back in Chapter 8 and run on into Chapter 9. Uh, well, really, I was going to start with uh, verse 18 in Chapter 8. Let's go on back to 16, which is a great verse anyway. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I mean, that's great. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. And verse 18 is where I wanted to start. Isaiah says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. So uh, Isaiah was putting himself and his family up as a, as a sign in Israel. And you remember that his sons had prophetic names. His sons' names were Sherid Jasub and Mahar Halal Hashbaz. Sher Jashub has a prophetic meaning. It means a remnant shall return. So uh, already in terms of Isaiah really anticipating and, and teaching really about the exile which was going to be coming uh, not, not only with Assyria but also finally with uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon he takes Judah away and all of that over to Babylon so Isaiah is predicting the exile but he's also predicting the return so uh, Sher Jashu means a remnant shall return so exile of Judah but then a remnant comes back and rebuilds uh, there in Jerusalem and so forth so Prophetic name, Maharshalal Hashbaz means speeding to the plunder and hurrying to the spoil. So that'd be more of an exile type name, uh, which is these kings are going to come in and wipe you out. Uh, and in fact, in Jeremiah, which we're not studying now, but Jeremiah, really the message that God gives to Jeremiah, he makes Jeremiah become a traitor to his own nation. Now, how would you like that, that ministry? You know what I mean? So uh, Jeremiah says, if you do not surrender, if you do not go out and show the white flag, you're going to be slaughtered. The only way you can save your life is you've got to be unpatriotic. You've got to give up. And no wonder he was an unpopular prophet. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know? Anyway, we're in Isaiah. So uh, uh, this phrase is repeated also in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. So let's take a look at Hebrews and see how it's used there. Hebrews 2, it is. Hebrews 2, with verse 10. In the mouth of Christ, as it were, for, well, talking about Christ, for it is fitting for he for whom and by whom all things exist, that would be God, in bringing many sons to glory, that's you and me, should be made, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. As we know from Hebrews and other passages, Christ learned obedience from the things that he suffered through his suffering. Wow. Uh, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, so he who sanctified to be Christ, those who are sanctified would be us. All have one, I like King James, Father. Mine says all have one origin. Or all from one, 
origin, Father. That is why Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers or brethren, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. So he quotes from Isaiah there, the author of Hebrews, and puts that phrase in the mouth of Christ. So not only was Isaiah and his family a prophetic sign to Israel, so Christ and his children, that is us, are also a prophetic sign to a dying world. We are a prophetic sign that God exists and God is love and he's doing something with those people. Uh, So I hope he'll do something with me. Great. It's an evangelistic uh, motive. I mean, we're doing evangelism just by walking around. You know? His hand is still stretched out. It's still stretched out. Yes. So, uh, also, we might say just you, uh, well, some of us are single, I know, but you and your family are also, in a certain sense, prophetic signs. So, everybody in David's and Charlotte's neighborhood knows that they get up on Sunday morning and they go to church. They may be the only family that does that. And, <laughs> and people say, you know, we know about the Burks. They're Christians. They go to church on Sunday. And oh no, and it goes. I mean, yes, we know about the Johnsons. They're Christians. They go to church every Sunday. So it's a sign. I mean, so we're doing evangelism just by walking around. All right. Does anybody have a comment on that? My idea, at least. <laughs> I like the word captain of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. I had written pioneer. I don't know. <laughs> I like pioneer of our salvation. Pioneer of our salvation. Well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Somebody must have been preaching. All right. <laughs> Let's go back to Isaiah 8, verse 19 then. Given the fact that Isaiah and his children are signs, uh, and Christ says, Behold, I and the children God has given me, we also are prophetic signs. Then verse 19, I think, would speak to us also. And when they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Okay. We do not have to engage in the occult. We don't have to try to get some kind of future knowledge from the fortune tellers and so forth. In fact, we're forbidden to do that. So what do we have? Well, we got the word of God. I mean, if you, if you want to get a word from God, well, you know, start reading the Bible. Jim and I have been talking about this. and People that we know... I, we're pretty sure probably maybe yes so probably for sure they're Christians it seems that they are born again but like so many they've dropped out of assembling themselves together they've dropped out of going to church but we're also at least in a couple of cases we know we're pretty sure it seems so that these people are not reading their Bibles either 
If they were reading their Bibles, probably they would go to church. They're not reading their Bibles. So they're tubing out. They're tubing out on discipleship. I mean, what do they want? You know? Just to be saved and for God to rip them off the earth and take them to heaven. I mean, no witness. I mean, no, no prophetic sign. You know, sometimes he goes We had one brother, I don't know what he who loved Christ, served Christ, went to church, had a ministry. He had a terrible thing that happened in his life. And the Greek Christian uh, paralyzed him. And his mother told me, he was a godly woman, said, Do you know Jim? He put him in his body. And he went places he shouldn't go. And he had a wreck, and God took his life. And he's with, he's with the Lord. He's a Christian. Yeah. But this is a good testimony for those who are turning away. God will take you. He stopped reading his Bible, and then he went down the tube. So. I, had All right. the, yes. I had the TV on this morning before coming here, and uh, there was a commercial for the Bible Museum yes. in Washington, D.C. And what, really? Oh, and okay. Said, Come and get to know the book that changed the world. <laughs> you know, yeah. Or you could just crack it open. Yeah. Or you could just read your own Bible right there at home. I mean, you don't, you don't have to go to DC. Go on. Chapter, <laughs> chapter 8, verse 21. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, <clears throat> but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. <clears throat> I really want to read this to run up to chapter 9, really for the, the word gloom. Uh, so, exile, uh, bad things, gloom, all over Israel and all over Judah. So this sets up the prophetic hope in chapter 9, verse 1. Remember, at least from what we've read so far in Isaiah, there, it seems there's a pattern, you know. There's a lot of darkness, death, darkness, exile, then messianic hope. Death, darkness, exile, messianic hope. And that's what we have here. I mean, darkness, exile, gloom, messianic hope. So chapter 9, then, begins the messianic hope. 9-1. For there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. So he's contradicting this now, or solving this. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those are up in northern Israel. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea 
the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. So, <clears throat> friends, this is uh, this is predictive prophecy here in the Old Testament. As Isaiah says, something great is going to happen uh, precisely in the area of Galilee. Uh, of course, we know that, that the town of Nazareth is located there in Galilee. That's where the action is going to happen. So this is predictive prophecy about the Messiah. <clears throat> I don't know how many years. I, do you know how many years before it, before this? It's not, is it 900? Is that that many? No. How many years before Christ comes is Isaiah writing? It's, it's about 600. I think it's Six or 700 years, yes. Both. And then in 100 years, the Jerusalem falls. Yes. So it's uh, about that. So this is way out in the future. And so, I mean, I don't know why people have problem with, you know, predictive prophecy in, in the Old Testament. I mean, to me, this is so clear here. Okay. Uh, so... God will solve the problem of gloom. This will happen in Galilee of the Gentiles. This area is in the far north of Israel, north of the valley of Jezreel. It had long been a melting pot of Hebrews, Canaanites, Aramaeans, Hittites, and Mesopotamians. Foreign armies would go through this region on their way to the Mediterranean Sea. After the Assyrian invasion, Many Jews were deported from this region and new Gentile settlers were brought in. That's why they call it Galilee of the Gentiles. It's just, they're Jews up there for sure. But I mean, there's all these Gentiles and these dogs and all these people that are not Jews and all that. You know, they're all up there. You know, they've discovered through archaeology at least three Greek theaters along the Sea of Galilee. One close to Nazareth. So, big Greek influence. Yeah, so, yeah. Jesus might have walked by, he's walking by these Greek theaters, he might have met some Greek actors. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of explains, too, like, I've heard people say, you know, that when Jesus cast that demon into the swine, that those demons, I mean, um, I've heard people say, why would there be swine there if there's a bunch of Jews there? Well, there's more than Jews there. But it explains why there's a herd of swine. There's a lot of Gentiles, yeah. yes, absolutely. Very good. Uh, Therefore, since this area was so overrun, really, with Gentiles, including Jews, uh, an Israelite in whom there was no guile could say, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> so it's precisely up there among all those Gentile pork eaters and all those people and all that, you know, that's where it is. Uh, actors. The actors. <laughs> 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 yeah, man. <laughs> it is precisely from this gloomy area that a great light will shine. So this is, again, this is highly specific predictive prophecy in the Old Testament. Verses 2 and 3 then. Um, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness... On them has the light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. 
So notice the interplay here between darkness and light, at least in my Bible. I, I have them all kind of marked off. I've got darkness, light, deep darkness, light shined, the nation of the Gentiles, joy, rejoice, joy, 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 and so forth. <clears throat> so, in that dark area arises a great joy. Go ahead, Jim. Well, that's, you may have mentioned just that verse 3, they must multiply the nation and not increase the joy. Well, mine says, have increased its joy. Increase their but the next verse, then it talks about not increase. Uh, yeah. comparing the joy in the harvest is men rejoice, they will buy the spoil and so forth. Yeah. But maybe this is error because it says here, thou must multiply the nation and not increase the joy. Yes. So I'm looking out there in sadness and darkness well, here. I'm, uh, yes, I'm sorry. My, I didn't check this out in Hebrew, so I can't well, say. I have it right here, and it says not. It has not. In Hebrew? Verse 3. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it says it's increased its joy. My, joy my, my, my note, uh, my, this interpretation or translation is and increases joy. And what? And increases joy. That's, yeah, that's it what It says my, that's yeah. according to QR and TG. According to KT and Vulgate, it's not increased joy. Okay, well, so this, a, difference. a manuscript yeah, debate. Yeah, this right here says, or to him increase the joy. Yeah, yeah. What's see? going on with that? I, that's, what what I'm, that's what I'm saying. If you look at it in the context, though, too, because it's, he, he uses a, 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 a word here, when dividing the plunder of the day of the million, though, but it's, uh, it's, it's as if they're dividing, you know, people divide plunder. They're probably, look, I got it. I think so. It's a manuscript problem, evidently, um, uh, among yeah. some of these manuscripts, whether it's not or whether it's not. It's not that says another reading says. Well, we, we'll just have to. I'm sorry, I can't. I, I, I don't know. I would say in uh, verse 3, where it says, You have multiplied the nation, it's a little unclear here whether he's talking about Israel or he's talking about the Gentiles. Yeah, the word used is goy, Hebrew, or the goyim, or, or the Gentiles, you know, all those goyim. But, and I thought it was on, it only applied to Gentiles, but I was wrong. But I was looking at it, you know, Hebrew and stuff. Just a second. Uh, but uh, sometimes the word goy applies to the to nation, as in the nation of Israel. Sometimes, not... Uh, that often, but sometimes it's used for Israel. So it's a little unclear here. Go ahead. The, in verse 3, the, the Keelan DeLitt scholars, they said, they translated, Thou multiplies the nation, preparest it great joy. They had that word preparest, what? which may be why there's the, you know, this translation, you know, says not increase the joy. It's prepared, but it ain't. Well, wow, maybe so. I mean, that's the yeah, it, that's, a, that's a problem there. Again, within the context, you know, so it's t- talking about uh, and men rejoice when dividing the plunder. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, so it seems more so rejoicing would be more of the idea, I think. Uh, however, my point here is that I'm not clear in verse 3 whether we're talking about just Israel or we're talking about the Gentiles too or that whole nation of God's people. I think it could go any of those ways. I can't. I can't say. Go ahead. So there's a there's a lot wrapped up in that little word there, and I think that ambiguity is there for a reason. Okay. Because 
if, and I'm going off memory here, but I think every time that word is used of Israel, it's used negatively. Okay. It's oh. comparing Israel to the nations. Oh. Okay. So, you know, it, it's it's not a positive <clears throat> word. When applied to Israel. What is the word? However, Goy. that said, yeah. you have the mystery of salvation here, <laughs> where it is in the Gentiles that the seed emerges from. It's from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali that the branch comes out. The branch, the word for branch is Nazar, Nazarene. Yeah, the Nazarene. Yeah. So Christ comes forth from this weird place of mixture, this place of the Gentiles. So even though normally that word is used negatively, there, there's a mystery here where that's that's where God is at work, is in this weird place of mixture. And, and out of Egypt as well. Yeah, yeah, not Egypt. Yeah, that's, that's, it's the same thing. How, yeah. What do you mean? Well, there is, it's a different passage, and I don't know where it is, but I, it might, some will come out of Egypt. Yes. Uh, out of Egypt. So it's just another um, example of the, the prophecies of Christ and him coming out of Gentile. Gen- with the, okay, Gentile, okay. Yeah. All right. Just how sneaky God be. I would just point out, too, yeah. I mean, I'm sure y'all remember this, but this. Verse 2 was our liturgy for Epiphany. Yes, that, that. yes that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, beautiful. Okay, let's go to, uh, well, uh, the light, well, one more reference. The light breaks out, therefore, in Galilee. If someone would read for us Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, we'll see the light breaking out. Luke 4, 14 and 15. I have it here. <clears throat> Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread to the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. Scroll the prophets of Isaiah and unrolling them and found the place where it was written. Yeah, go ahead. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and said, yeah, that's when the light begins to shine. Plus, all those uh, healing miracles that he did up there in uh, in in Galilee, Capernaum, and all up in there. And I mean, he's healing people. He's healing these crowds of people, not just one person that has a cough. You know, I mean, he's healing people with dread diseases, and they're dragging these people out in the streets and they stuff. Can't they can't can't, they're crippled. I mean, he, he's dragging them out there and Jesus heals them all. Something big's going on. Were, were most of those people Jews? I don't know. Well, the synagogue attenders would be Jews. but Well, maybe not necessarily. They did have uh, proselytes too. Brother, given that area of uh, Galilee, I would have to say that some of those folks must have been Gentiles. Yeah, because that time that someone came must have been Gentile. They wanted him to heal their daughters. Yeah, yeah. Said, well, even, you know, the, the, the dogs of the house, the puppies of the house. <laughs> and Jesus said, that's a good answer. <laughs> 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 the crumbs of the, the, the
table. Go ahead, Jan. That was my question, too, because I kept thinking about John chapter 1, where you know, he came to his own, and his own received him not. I don't know if it was mostly Gentiles, but it seems reasonable that there would have been Gentiles up there in those crowds because it was a Gentile kind of area. But Duffy would give them a lot of chew on it. He'd catch a lot of fish, too. (laughs) All right, let's go on. The light breaks out, Luke chapter 4. Verse 4 then. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. So verses 4 and 5, this light that's breaking out up in Galilee will eventually bring peace for the oppressed people of this region and they will burn up implements of war. The rod of the oppressor that will be broken is referring to uh, as in the day of Midian this is referring to Gideon's battle against the Midianites back in Judges 6 and 7 but in my understanding I mean this is an eschatological hope eschatological means the end of time so it seems to me if we're looking for a world of total peace with no war we have to be thinking about the end of time, actually. What's interesting about Gideon's battle, you know, he, he takes only 300 men, yeah. but he takes these jars with, uh, with a little flame inside of them, and then you break the jars, and then oxygen hits that flame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You light it up. <laughs> that's what freaked him out. That's what started him Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. So, Turn yeah. You can imagine you're late at night. I mean, and there's no light anywhere. It's black as it Dark. can be. And all of a sudden, early dawn, this light flashes up in front of you. They see soldiers freaking out. They don't know what's going on. That's it. Bam, next thing you know, yeah. beat the snot out of them. Yeah. So. That's it. All right. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a verse. The light that is coming is now identified as a child. So God is going to send a child who is going to do great things. Isaiah uses this reality of God's deliverance several times through mentioning children, as in his own children that became prophetic signs. So God can do mighty things through the weakness of children. I mean, you have children that are being prophesied here, you know. Uh, The coming of this child who is identified as God... uh, in other words, mighty God and so forth, these titles that are given to this child, he's in one of his titles is mighty God. Is, is this <clears throat> proof against the Jews that translate uh, a virgin shall uh, bear a son that will be a son to us? You know how a lot of the Jews say, no, no, that's, that's, that's not translated a virgin. That's a maiden. Yeah. Well, maybe this, this is evidence against. Well, yes, and may, maybe modern Jews say that, but uh, the Septuagint translators, Jews, didn't say that. They translated it as virgin. The Septuagint <clears throat> Jews, those quote seventy Jews that translated the Septuagint. 
And I would say this is evidence to the Muslims yeah, who are trying to say it doesn't say virgin in Hebrew. Yeah, well, no. Well, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And the Septuagint was 200 years before Christ. Absolutely. They didn't have any particular so axe to grind. It was well established. Yeah. Um, Christ, this idea of the virgin birth. Among, yeah. With those translators of Septuagint, yeah. All right, so, uh, well, where, where am I? So, this coming of this child is identified as God, that is, he's mighty God. Hebrew is El Gibor. Gibor is mighty man, or he's God the mighty man, God the mighty man. <clears throat> uh, this also prophesies, well, this is basically a statement of the incarnation, that God is man. God becomes man. How will we say it? God takes up flesh. That's the best way to say it. Like the Father said. <laughs> he incarnates himself. He takes up flesh. Uh, so that's a prophecy of incarnation and the coming of the God-man to earth or the Messiah. This child reveals the truth of God so that when we talk about God, we do not have to talk simply about ideas, but we can talk in the realm of reality. I do not like to hear people say things like the concept of God. God. Of God. Is God a concept? That means you're thinking him up in your your fevered mind and you're you're creating God in your fevered imagination. If he's a concept, no, he's reality. I mean, God is God. He's not your concept. I mean, and that distinction is important. I've got a French friend that said one time. She said. Words have weight. No That's kidding. Right. Yeah. They're very important. Yeah, exactly. I hate that. The concept of God and all of this, you know. He's not a concept. It's like we're creating God, you know, if you use that word. Yeah, that's what people say. Well, that's your concept of God. My concept is different. Well, they're, they're creating God out of their own fevered mind. They don't know him. He's a person. Okay. Like so, the word that he's given. It's a gift. Yes. So let's talk about that then. Uh, so unto us a child is born, unto us the son is given. So this child, uh, Jesus, <clears throat> is born, as we know, from the Virgin Mary. But the Son of God is given, that is. Since the Son of God is eternal, he cannot be conceived. In other words... Since the Son of God is eternal, He cannot come into existence. He's always been. Right. Right. So God has to... Yes. Yes. So God has to give us the Son. Mary didn't conceive... I mean, how should we say it? She was overshadowed. Yes. She didn't bring the Son of God into existence. She brought a body for the Son of God into existence. Maybe we could say that. The Father. Oh, his, bo- <laughs> his body's not eternal. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think what? so. What now? The body of Jesus. It's Isn't not that? from all eternity. It comes in, the body comes into existence, but the Son of God does not come into existence. Well, he gets, he gets a body from Mary. I know. But he had bodily appearances in the Old Testament. He, he did. There were some theophanies. So, oh, yes. yes. I'll grant you that. It's a mystery. It's always been. God has always been. But Christ was born at a particular time. 
Jesus is the one who sort of creates well, our souls own God. Yeah. 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 And it says the image of Jesus is going to be like us in some ways. Yeah, he had to be made like his brethren. And that's the body that he rose in. That's true. See, I love this discussion. I mean, this is where the action is. But so the fathers, the fathers were all over this verse. They love this verse. Well, I do too. It's the, it's, it's the two natures. In, yes. In one yes. Hoopo yes. stasis. That's right. That's why they did this. The hypostatic union. Yeah. Okay, I can see everybody is really on board with this particular verse. Uh, and we love this verse. It's, it's the basis of our faith. Which verse is it? Nine, verse, verse six. Unto us a child is born, the son is given. So the child is born, but the son is given. In that sense, Mary is and is not the mother of God. Is Mary the mother of Jesus? Yes. Is Mary the mother of God? No. 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 Unless you're Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're Catholic. In case, she's still not. She's still not. She thinks she is. <laughs> well, she, call, she calls him a uh, savior. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. This is why I've never been crazy about the, the orthodox emphasis on the Theotokos. Yeah. Yes. It's just a little... It, it gets a little uncomfortable there. It's know? it's tough. Yeah, it's mother of God. Mother of God. They make a huge deal about that. Mother of God. Hail Mary, Mother of God. Pray for us sinners now. Mother of God. More or less. It's probably just a matter of words. Could be. Yeah, but, but words are important. <laughs> yes, we <laughs> <laughs> they said, they said, I, I, I used to believe in words. <laughs> yeah. Depends on what the definition of is. Of is is. I know. This is where it gets tough. All right. Let's. Let's. Yes, Connor. I think we. There's. There's. I know. I was joking earlier, saying it's a trap, but I think there really is. A real danger with dissecting this stuff too much. Okay, you know? well, yeah. we, you know, we, yeah. we we're talking about we're talking about you know the great mystery here. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I just it's a mystery. I just want to throw that out there. That yeah, yeah, you're right. I we, mean, we we tend to we tend to study scripture by way of dissection. Okay, and you can only dissect dead things, right? This is the living word. Right? <laughs> okay, so very good. Let's, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, um, let's well, leave this to the realm of mystery. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> the book. There's I said a frog, <laughs> and you, you, you learn how the frog works, but you basically ruin the you frog. Kill the yeah. frog. <laughs> you kill the frog. It was already dead. Yeah. But you know, no, no, I know. You hit the frog. Did a and it's and then it's the world uses the the seemingly peculiar things to mock us, and our kids and unbelievers are intimidated by that. No, we need to try and know. The tough stuff in the Bible. In fact, that's where we all emphasize our studies, in my opinion. Well, I mean, well, for that very reason, to defend our children and unbelievers from the world mocking this thing. Well, they, yeah, you got a point. We should, I mean, it doesn't mean we're going to be able to get to all these answers, but we should try. Yeah, we pursue the tough stuff. 
but then sometimes it gets tougher. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, so did we. Uh, we run into a, a iron sharpens iron. We just embrace the mystery. Yeah. And say thank you, God, for, for revealing something mysterious. Well, and, yeah. the, and the church has prepared us for this by you know, coming up with phrases like "fully God, fully man." He rewards those who diligently seek Him. And I believe that part of that is digging in the tough stuff and trying to understand. Okay, well, let's see here. Now that we derailed this. Yeah, sorry. I did have a profound statement, but I, I forgot it. <laughs> no, yeah, no. The book of Ecclesiastes says, even though the wise man says he knows, he doesn't know. Let's take a few more here in uh, in verse six, then we've got a long way to go. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So the child is born, the son is given. So this is what the Bible plainly says. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Well, I assume the well, the, of course, God is sovereign over the course of this world, but particularly over the church, he's moving it. Uh, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So Wonderful Counselor possibly could be a wonder of a counselor, but basically the same, Wonderful Counselor. Um, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, I don't think we have to read it all, uh, it does say that the spirit of counsel and might will rest upon him. So one of the fullnesses of the Holy Spirit uh, that rested upon and no doubt in Christ is the spirit of counsel. So, I mean, whatever his words are in the New Testament, I mean, you can, you can take those to the bank. I'm not... Mm, we may need to talk. There may be counselors, both professionals and people in the church that you, you can talk to, and we need to talk to other people sometimes. However, a lot of times you can read Scripture and find out the answer to your problem. Uh, many times, if you're looking for a way to go, at least, I think, you can start reading the book of Proverbs, <laughs> and probably you might find the answer to your query within the book of Proverbs. So, the Word of God is a wonderful counselor for us in Christ Himself, now through the Holy Spirit also. I think it's in Isaiah. He says, you'll hear a word behind you that says, go this way, go to the right, or go to the left. So, the Holy Spirit is also guiding us uh, in the way we should go. So, we have all these things. We have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have the Scripture so we have a lot available to us in terms of counseling. I'm not saying that you might not talk, need to talk to somebody else sometime, maybe a friend or a pastor, so who, who knows. Sure, these folks can help. Anyway, I have a, Christ is our wonderful counselor. Go ahead. I have a favorite event uh, from hundreds of years before Isaiah okay. that reflects on verse 6. Um, there was a man named Manoah. 
uh, and the angel of the Lord visited him and promised him a son, even though his wife was barren. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Yeah, that's a good one. And, and so, in, in this translation and in many, there's a comma after wonderful. That his name shall be wonderful. Counselor. Oh, okay. All right. I see. And and this had to have been known to Jews of of Isaiah's time. Oh, certainly. Um, That that passage is from Judges. It's Samson. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. It's It's, Samson. It's Judges 13. And the the son is Samson, who is a type of Christ and the Lord. It's wonderful the same Hebrew word, do you know? I don't know. You know, uh, in Handel's Messiah, as he, they begin to sing all this, wonderful counselor, mighty God, the, the, the way the music is, is uh, arranged there, it, uh, it, it is like there's a comma there after one. It's wonderful pause, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All those things. Yeah, it's a five-fold name almost, yeah. Yeah. On the word counselor, I, I kind of associate that with Communicating that Christ is wisdom. You know, certainly, yes. Counselor is supposed to be wise. There you go. Well, he yeah, certainly baby. is both those things. Absolutely. He's wonderful and he's a great counselor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, wonderful comes first in that list. So it could, I mean, if you wanted to use it as a modifier, it modifies everything else in the list. Yeah. And wonderful might might mean that no matter how many names we come up with for Christ, we'll never exhaust the fullness of his being through human language. I love it. All right. He is wonderful. Okay, comma. He is a counselor. Yes. And he is mighty God. So now, this child that will be born, as Isaiah predicts, will in fact be mighty God. So this child will be God. Thus, God's nature as Trinity is taught in the Old Testament. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. as the Old Testament teaches, yes. as well as the New. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay? All right. Now he is everlasting Father. So God is the great and original Father. He is a Father who sacrifices himself for his children, who can imagine? He is also eternal in terms of eternity past and eternity future. There's no point in which God comes into existence. I mean, that would be ridiculous to think. And there's no point in which he goes out of existence. That would also be absurd to think. Therefore, since Christ is God and he dies on the cross, as he dies on the cross, he doesn't go out of existence. He continues to be the Son of God, just as when you die, guess what? You won't go out of existence. Amazing. We'll continue to have, I don't know exactly how to be, but we'll continue to have some kind of existence. So we need to prepare for the day of our death now because it's coming on apace. Is that a good word? It's coming on apace. It's a coming How long will you live? Compared to eternity, history 
All right. So, this is amazing. Chapter 9, verse 6 then show, or proclaims that this child is God. Now, this is Old Testament teaching, okay? And this also is in Hebrew Bible. I'm not sure exactly what they do with it, but, you know, this is you know, in Hebrew Bible. Interesting, Christian, the Holy Spirit is called what? Say again? The Holy Spirit is called what by Jesus? A counselor. A counselor, well, yeah. So here you have the Holy Spirit counselor, you've got mighty God, the Father, and you've got the Son given. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. He will be a counselor. The Prince. Absolutely. So... All right, so God is the great and original Father. He is a Father who sacrifices, as it were, himself, definitely himself for his children. He is eternal in terms of eternity past and eternity future. His character is always that of Father. Even before anything was created, God, God's character, shall I say, maintains. God maintains in the past his character as Father because the Son is also eternal in eternity past. So as the church fathers would say, always Father, always Son. God is always Father because He always has a Son. You can't be a Father without a Son. <laughs> well, Son in a generic sense, yeah. Okay. Always Father, always Son. So God is a good Father, and He becomes the great example for us in terms of ourselves trying to be good fathers. uh, I'm sure I have many failures as Father, uh, but my daughters are grown now, so I'm off the hot seat in a way. Uh, I mean, who can be a perfect father? But we try to follow the example of God Father and God the Son in terms of our action and relationship and so forth. So your children never stop being your children? No. 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 I got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the government should be upon the children the Is that somehow uh, the prophecy of Jesus carrying the cross for us in some way? I, I, I'm not sure that I don't necessarily see that exactly, but uh, I don't, this, I don't. it seems to be eschatological. <clears throat> well, that too. Because yeah. Prince of Peace will be in the, when he's sitting on his throne. Yes, I mean, it's not going to happen before Christ comes back. It's a prophecy again, so yeah. which almost all of them are. So yes. Early Atlanta yeah. Reigns. You know, yeah. So this the early Reigns of the first advent. And the latter. Yes, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Well, uh, okay, so this is a... Since God is a good Father, then this gives us a, our marching orders in terms of trying to be good fathers. And, uh, I mean, nobody's a perfect father. I mean, you know, I mean, we're human beings, but, but I mean, we try in some way. The good news is, even when you fail, that doesn't make you a failure. Well, that's... <laughs> That's good. All right. He is also Prince of Peace. Hebrew is Sar Shalom. Sar is Prince. Shalom is Peace. So he's Sar Shalom. Prince of Peace. So Christ is the one who brings us peace. 
as in Romans 5, 1 through 5. So let's look at Romans 5, 1 through 5. Oh, we're almost turned to it. Uh, so let me read Romans 5, 1 through 5. Uh, yeah, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Wow, look at that. And endurance produces character. Look at that. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Christ accomplished all this. Yeah. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Wow, think about it. So, uh, we have peace with God. That's it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Isaiah prophesies that this child is going to be Prince of Peace. Now, okay, we have peace. It's talking about, number one, the church, us. We have peace with God. The preacher doesn't have to convince you that you have peace with God. I mean, internally, you should be living in peace with God. (laughs) The Holy Spirit should be teaching you that. Uh, But at the end of time, then Christ will rule the nations and we will have peace, but not before. Because Jesus said to the end, wars are determined. So until Christ comes back, uh, world peace? Uh, no, it's not going to happen. Huh? What? Internal peace possible. Internal peace we should have. Yes. But peace in terms of absence of armed conflict in the world? No, it's not going to happen. There's a great book written by Billy Graham called "Peace with God," which that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, he nails it. Yeah, that's what it is. There's so many scriptures on peace. Good participation. We better stop here, lest we go over time. We wouldn't want to do that. Before.